take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Hi guys, Rachel Gilmore, your host here with our latest episode of Field Preachers. Now the church planter you're going to hear from today is a really incredible planter. When I took a sabbatical last summer and spent a month on the road visiting some of the most innovative church plants throughout the U.S., uh, this was one stop I made in St. Louis at the gathering. So Matt Mayofsky is a wonderful guy. He took time to grab lunch with me. We've actually known each other. I guess we met at a school of congregational development about a decade ago, but he's doing really incredible things and has a strategic plan that is making a huge impact in his annual conference and his communities through his multi-site ministry. So listen in. I hope you learn as much as I did in this episode of Field Preachers with Matt Mayofsky. Okay, so no particular order, uh, describe your church plant in 12 words or less. The Gathering is a new church in the city of St. Louis seeking to create a compelling Christian community for new generations of people. Uh, What personal characteristics have helped or hindered you in church planting? Like my personal characteristics. Yeah, your personality. Oh, Well, the things that have helped me have probably also hurt me. So I'll just state that. (laughs) A lot of them are probably the same. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So in the beginning, I was really confident, passionate. I worked all the time. I would work hard. Um, I had a deep, deep uh, desire to see Christ uh, transform the lives of my friends I had experienced personal transformation. I think I was um, confident enough to try something that was crazy and wise enough to sort of listen to some people that were around me. I think that's a balance, right? I mean, I know people who are wise and they listen, but they don't really have the guts to go. And then I see people who are overly confident and don't listen to anything. And I think I had the right mix there. Um, I think the things that hurt me, I was emotionally immature when I started the church. Uh, I was kind of, I didn't expect, I I didn't anticipate what to do with the anxiety, the mental, you know, load that's dropped on you whenever you start doing this. I had spent so many times, so much time worrying about failing that I had not thought at all about what would I do if I succeeded. And those are really different coping mechanisms. And so I had to learn how to succeed instead of how to be anxious about how not to fail. So those were some of the things that I think held me back, especially in the beginning. That's awesome. Thanks. That's insightful. And, you know, sometimes it feels like our strengths and excess can become our weaknesses. So it's nice to have that balance to kind of give you what you needed because it's an awesome church having worshiped with you on multiple occasions. That's good stuff. Um, So share a story of failure in your plant. Well, I'll talk about the closing down of a site because that's a big deal and something that hurts. It stings. We started our third site was called Bar Church. It was started at a bar on a college campus reaching college students. And we started it with a lot of fanfare. It went, it was going really well. And, and, and I think this is an issue with other sites as well. But what we didn't really anticipate is like, how was this thing going to develop and grow? And I didn't really do enough risk assessment 
And so what happened is they closed the bar and we had to move to a new location. We hadn't really ever anticipated what would happen if the bar closed. And it did. And what we realized is the site really couldn't survive. Its identity was so tied up in that space. It was called Bar Church. Um, It was further away from campus. And what we found is that we were one crisis like that away from the site no longer working. And so we ended up, after a time of decline, having to close it. And I mean, it, it was a failure. We, you know, the, the site had to close. That's not why we started it. And I think that one of the lessons I drew from it is, um, I think when you're, when you're just starting out, you're kind of running and gunning and building the plane while you're flying it, whatever metaphor people want to use. And sometimes you don't go back. Like once something starts, you really do have to go back and then build a, uh, an infrastructure that can support what you've started so that there's uh, a durability to it. And I really didn't do that with Bar Church. We were just, for years, it was truly vulnerable. Uh, one, we had not anticipated what we would do if this happened, and we should have. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a great example. So what about um, three times that you made kind of a game-changing decision that impacted the gathering in a positive way? Uh, you may not have realized were that important, but they really were crucial. We started the Clayton site. That was our second site. And it was, it felt like a total risk, a, a total flyer, a little bit ill-prepared, uh, taking a lot of risks, but we went for it. And it was a game changer for us, not just because it allowed us to grow, but it kind of sealed this belief that we can, we can actually I think Methodism, we've internalized failure so much that um, we've almost prepared, we prepare ourselves to fail. The second one was uh, building our new McCausland site, um, having the, you know, it was expensive. It was an $8 million project, it, but it was the exact right thing for us to do. We're just shy of a year moving in there. And we knew that we had to do it, um, but it felt like such a huge risk to go for it. And the, the third that I, I think I would name is, it's a series of decisions that all fall into the same category. Asking people for money, particularly asking some people for large gifts. And we were never afraid from the beginning of asking people for money. And that has been a game-changing decision from the beginning. Awesome. Awesome. Um, what are the top three resources that you would recommend from books to conferences, websites, podcasts, anything for new planters? Oh, gosh. Um, let me say a couple in general. One is um, call planters that you admire or that you see your, your plant sort of being like. I mean, most of us look around and we, and we see some that like, this is kind of what I have in mind and go talk to them directly and ask them your questions. That's the number one thing that I would, I would do. Um, Secondly, whether it's a coach or a consultant or whatever you need, you need someone around you that can not, not even so much tell you what to do or how to do it, but can help you identify things that you're not seeing either in yourself or in the work that you're doing. Uh, so I would say that. And then um, I, probably the third is a personal counselor <laughs> who can help you manage you 
as you manage the plant. Wonderful. Spot on. Um, all right. So when you hear people talk about church planting, um, is there ever something that comes to the surface and you're like, that's totally a myth. That's a lie. Everyone thinks yeah. church planting is this, but it's not. Absolutely. I think almost always it's a myth that, uh, well, I'll name a few, but the first one is any church. I mean, we'll look at some churches and say they went to zero to a thousand in like three months, six months. There's always a story there. And usually it's that there was a big backstory of people working, working, working before the thing actually officially launched or something like that. Things just don't go from zero to thousands in a short period of time. There is no shortcut to that kind of growth. So I would say that's a myth uh, for the most part. I'd say it's just a second myth because I see it a lot. Good worship is enough. If we just have killer worship and great preaching, everything else will fall into place. Uh, myth. Awesome. Um, so what does self- Can I share one other myth? Oh, yeah. Keep going. Because I think it's important. Another myth is if I talk about money and or in particularly and or high commitment in general, this is going to turn new people away. It's a huge myth and it's a big mistake that people make when they start their plans. So they wait too late to talk about giving in particular is what I'm talking about, but, but commitment in general. Yeah, that's so true. I think that's what people are looking for is a church that takes them seriously and, and wants them to take church seriously as well. In terms of self-care, I heard from you last year, and it was so helpful, the importance of taking the sabbatical, that you're gone from like the end of annual conference for like yeah. every year. But what does self-care in general look like for Matt? Do you take a day off? I do. I take Fridays off. Uh, so here's the biggest self-care move that I've made. I get my sermon done by Thursday evening when I go home. I don't mean I kind of get it done. I get it done. I practice it. I record it for video that weekend so that um, now I will admit, so I take Friday and Saturday off in general. Now, obviously, occasionally I have weddings or something comes up and so I'll eat into my Friday sometimes. But what it does is it not only gives me my time off, but I'm actually able to be present when I'm off. My problem before was not that I didn't take time off. It's that I was, I, I took time off, but my mind was still working. And so I wasn't really present. And so getting the sermon done and ending the Saturday, well, it's pretty much done, but I know I need two more hours to just kind of solidify it or get the ending or, you know, you know what I mean. Preachers know what I mean. It's like done, done Thursday. So yes, many, I take Friday and Saturday off. How many years did it take to perfect that Thursday practice? Uh, uh, probably eight to nine years in, I made that switch. Wow. Any other self-care tips for planters, newbies? Yeah, I mean. Working 80 to 100 hours a week? Right, yes. Um, you know, I don't want to repeat. I'm sure, you know, there's some obvious choices. You got to stay connected to God, however that works. Um, I think you have to stay connected to people who love you and love God. So you got to have community around you. Um, if you're married, just don't ever put your marriage on autopilot. Just you have to be attentive to it, um, I would say. What's one thing about your launch that you would have done differently or better? Any of your launches? Oh, God. 
gosh. Um, you know, our Webster launch, you, you were there. Our Webster site is still going. I think it has, a, it's, for a while it was our fastest growing, but we launched in a school and similar to Bar Church, we didn't move fast enough to try to find a permanent space. We kind of thought school's great. Let's do this for a long time without really taking into account the instability of being in old schools like where we are, where we had to, we've had to move it once. We're in a less than ideal location and now we're stuck searching. Now we hope to have a permanent space, but I would have moved to find permanent space sooner. Um, that was the solution in our case. I think in general, it's the same thing I said about Bar Church. I wish I would have moved a little sooner to say, we're off to a really great start. Now, how do we make sure this thing is durable and grows roots? We just kind of said, hey, this is great. It's growing. Like, let's let it grow and we'll figure it out as we go. Great. Anything else that you would have done differently in any aspect of the life of the church? I would have taken care of myself and gotten a counselor when I started instead of a year and a half in when I about quit. Okay. How do you use social media in your plan? Well, I mean, our church now uses social media a lot. All of our sites have social media accounts. Um, you know, when we started, oddly enough, there was, you know, it was right before Facebook went public to people. So social media is something we've learned as a church, along with a lot of other people. Uh, we try to have personality with our social media account instead of just making it announcements and marketing. You know, when I started 13 years ago, it was all about average worship attendance. That was everything. I mean, they didn't really care. Money and average worship attendance. And now I think we're finding that average worship attendance is still important. But engagement, however you measure that, and I think, I think there's some particular ways we need to measure it, but engagement is, it matters um, probably the most. What's the difference between the number of folks that actually physically show up to one of your campuses on a Sunday and those who are connecting online? Right now, we probably add a, we probably increase our uh, live attendance. Our, our online attendance is probably 30% of our live attendance, but we see that skyrocket like on Easter, it'll go up to like uh, half of our live attendance. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Do you have any um, like discipleship groups, small groups that are offered through Zoom mm -hmm. instead of in person? We do have uh, one or two that are offered online. Yes. Um, are you using any type of lay planters right now and how do you train them? Yeah. Well, we, yes. Um, we do use lay planters and the way we train them is kind of, multiple things. They shadow and work alongside site pastors at our church. We utilize conference and other United Methodist kind of training resources to send them off, uh, licensing school to learn some basics about theology and preaching. Some of the seminaries offer a few things that we've taken advantage of. And then planting uh, workshops or conferences we use to train them, yeah. When it comes to your ministry, what is your biggest fear? my biggest fear is that we would settle and stop being bold. So how does that tie in with your thoughts? General conference 2019 is like a trigger for a lot of us still. We're hoping 
for something different to happen in 2020. Um, what are your thoughts about the future of the gathering in light of all this general conference stuff? Well, I, I think people who know me know that I, I think it was a huge mistake what we passed at 2019. Um, I, I think that for a church like ours, that where um, welcoming LGBTQ people has been in our DNA from the beginning, two and a half years ago, we started marrying LGBTQ people in our churches by our pastors. Um, we've been open and public about that and uh, brought up on charges for the same. We, we just, we are not going to go backwards. We, we can't. I mean, this is part of who God's called us to be and it's part of who we are. So if the church can change in 2020 to make a space for a church like the gathering, we want nothing more than to be United Methodist. And if the church can't make a space for a church like ours, then we'll do whatever we have to do to continue to uh, our mission. But what, what our church is unwilling to do is kind of go backwards um, or subject our church to a bunch of, uh, you know, fighting with the conference. And so I, I need something to change in 2020. It might not be the ultimate change or the final solution or whatever, but we need, we need movement that makes space for churches like ours. Now within that, I'm highly hopeful that the, that, that we can figure it out and there will be space for a church like ours. And we want, like I said, nothing more than to be United Methodist. Sounds great. Um, anything else you want to share? Thoughts for posterity? Matt isms. <laughs> okay. Oh, you can use me here all day, Rachel. You don't need any more of me. I would just say this to play. If planters are, li I don't know who's listening to this planters, you know, uh, learn from a lot of different people, you know, learn from Methodists, learn from big churches, learn from growing churches, buy my book, eight virtues of rapidly growing churches and read that. That's like a shortcut, by the way, if you want to know something about embrace church, Providence church, impact church, um, Church of the Resurrection downtown or the gathering, just buy that book and you'll read a lot of the wisdom you'll pick up from those five pastors. So do all that, but don't, don't lose sight of your instincts. And if your instincts are a little different, that's good. L listen to that, learn, but listen to the Holy Spirit nudging you because creativity is not going to come from mimicking what you see but by listening to a nudge of the spirit you have to discern it, you have to be wise you have to test it but don't be afraid to try something different i'm excited about a new generation of planters that aren't going to do what we did or some of these other churches i named did might learn from us but then take the ball further down the field or um, figure out an even um, a newer and better way to engage new generations with ministry so i would say like just don't don't lose trust in your own instincts. All right. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Um, I was trying to take notes throughout my entire conversation with Matt because he was sharing so many really, really important things. Um, something that stuck out to me early on was how Matt described the hard work that it is to plant a church, that it really can be all-consuming and really difficult, but that he had this deep desire to see Christ transform lives, and that motivated him to keep doing what he was doing. And I love that he, he shared that he had to be a combination of both crazy enough to try innovative things, but wise enough to listen to others uh, and be strategic. 
And something that I thought was really ironic was he said he'd always been prepared for failure. We all are as church planters because we know that the vast majority of church plants are not self-sustaining at like the 18-month or especially three-year mark. But Matt never prepared himself for success. What would that really look like when things took off and the gathering continued to grow? Um, But at the same time, I love that Matt shared a myth of church planting is that things can go from, you know, zero people to 1,000 overnight. Like that, it's just not true. It doesn't happen like that. And I also love the misnomer he shared that if you just have good enough worship, that that's enough, that you're going to be okay. It takes a whole lot more than that to start you know, a life-giving, thriving faith community. Um, And something that Matt does that I don't know if any other church planter that I've talked to does, uh, but I really appreciate about Matt, I really feel it's true, is, is he regularly shares the importance of talking about giving early on with folks and being comfortable asking for large gifts from people who have the means to give and give generously. It's, it's not just about um, financial stability for the church, but it's about teaching those people generosity and, and what it means to invest in something that's changing lives so they can be a better part of it. So um, another tip that I learned from Matt when I was on sabbatical last year that I'm really glad he shared here today with us was that if your mind is still working, it's not a Sabbath. So his tip about getting his sermon completely, totally, utterly done by Thursday night uh, is a wonderful idea. So if you guys aren't doing that already, please do if you're doing weekly worship, because it really does. It's perhaps the only way that you're actually going to get a Sabbath on Friday or Saturday. So um, uh, another final parting note that I want to leave with you that, again, I just love that Matt shared this with us today, is the metrics for church planting are shifting and changing, right? We can't only look at average worship attendance anymore on a Sunday morning. You have to look at overall engagement, and that's what can matter the most. And social media is a big way that The Gathering is doing that. So I hope that you continue to learn from Matt, from a story, check out their website. And if there's anyone else I need to be talking to, any other field preachers out there, shoot me their names at rgilmore at umcdiscipleship.org. Thanks so much, guys. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.